Okay, so I admit that I had never before read or don't remember ever reading the Patrick Henry speech, which ended with the famous line that has echoed down through this country's history, give me liberty or give me death. I offered a few excerpts in the readings. It is worth noting that the speech was not transcribed at the time, but reconstructed through the accounts of those who were present. So it may not all be Henry's original words, but wherever it came from, it has lasted as a part of the history of America, and it does, to me, reflect the passion and commitment of its most famous line all the way through. If we are to teach our children the history of this country, certainly we should include this speech, for it is an eloquent and passionate argument for violent revolution. I repeat, it is an argument for violent revolution. Is that the way we teach this? And I point that out because presumably we think as a country that this was a valid argument as it led to the Revolutionary War, which led to these United States of America. So what was it exactly that justified violent revolution? Well, Henry states it up front, sort of. He is reported to have said, for my own part, I consider it as nothing less than a question of freedom or slavery. Slavery. And he continues with this language throughout. Speaking of the invasion of British troops into the colonies, he says, these are the implements of war and subjugation. What means this martial array if its purpose be not to force us to submission? They are sent over to bind and rivet us upon us those chains which the British ministry have been so long forging. And still more dramatically, there is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clinking may be heard on the streets of Boston. Finally, as you heard earlier in the reading, is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? So yes, Patrick Henry considered the plight of the colonists to be like slavery. Now, Patrick Henry was a lawyer, and one of his first cases I learned this week, involved ministers of the Church of England. Apparently, ministers at the time were paid their annual salaries in tobacco. <laughs> Please don't adopt that practice here. <laughs> but they were paid their annual salaries in tobacco when, as the result of drought, tobacco prices became inflated, Virginia passed a law that converted the salaries into actual currency at two pence a pound, whereas the price of tobacco had risen to six pence a pound. The unhappy ministers appealed to Britain. The king vetoed the law and encouraged the ministers to sue for back pay. Henry represented Virginia, saying that the king, quote, by disallowing acts of this salutary nature, from being the father of his people degenerated into a tyrant and forfeits all rights 
to his subjects' obedience. Henry later became famous for his opposition to the Stamp Act. What is the Stamp Act, you may ask, if, like me, you have forgotten much of the material from your history classes? Thank goodness for Wikipedia. The Stamp Act was an act of the Parliament of Great Britain which imposed a direct tax on the British colonies in America and required that many printed materials in the colonies be produced on stamped paper produced in London, carrying an embossed revenue stamp. Printed materials included legal documents, magazines, playing cards, newspapers, and many other types of paper used throughout the colonies, and it had to be paid in British currency, not in colonial paper money. Now, at this point, you're all asking yourselves, <laughs> why this history lesson in the middle of what is supposed to be a sermon? Because I wanted to understand, and I wanted to give you an idea what Henry was referring to as slavery. Unfair and unwarranted intrusion into the legal affairs of the colonies. Unfair and unwarranted taxes. Taxation without representation. I do remember that one. These are the types of things that led Henry to declare, there is no retreat but in submission and slavery. Our chains are forged. Their clanking may be heard on the streets of Boston. Which is all well and good. I'm all for powerful imagery. Have nothing against metaphor. But don't those images ring a bit hollow when considering that there were people suffering actual slavery at the time? That there were people literally enslaved in these American British colonies that seemed so committed to freedom. That Henry himself owned slaves. Did he hear what he was saying? And before we rush to that was a different time and we can't judge yesterday by today's standards, it is apparent that Henry himself felt the discord and even gave voice to it. He believed slavery was wrong and hoped for its abolition, but he owned slaves throughout his life. He wrote in 1773, just two years before his famous speech, I am the master of slaves of my own purchase. I am drawn along by the general inconvenience of living here without them. I will not, I cannot justify it. And my purpose is not to put Patrick Henry on, on trial, but to wonder how we teach, how we learn, how we understand our history. How we put the metaphorical language of slavery used by the founders in context with the actual legal slavery which lasted for nearly another hundred years. To try and make sense of what we say about ourselves as a country. We, especially white Americans, need to emulate Henry when he says, 
Though we are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth, still, whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, I am willing to know the whole truth. Rather than paying homage to that illustrious group known as the Founding Fathers, and while Patrick Henry is not listed among the most prominent, he often shows up on, you know, that B-Squad listing of Founding Fathers. Rather than pay homage to them, maybe we should, as Clifford Lee Scott suggested in the words for the call to worship, maybe we should first try to understand the direction of their vision. If we find Patrick Henry convincing in his argument for a revolutionary war, we should actually try to understand the argument and its ramifications for all that has occurred afterward and to where we are today. If we accept Patrick Henry's argument for violent revolution as a response to the unfair taxation and unwarranted intrusion into local affairs imposed and carried out by Britain, which he compared to slavery, wouldn't that also justify a violent revolution by those who suffered actual slavery? Wouldn't that justify the violent response by Native Americans to the occupation and land theft carried out by colonists? And let me be clear, I am not arguing for or against the Revolutionary War. I am not here arguing for or against violent revolution. I am trying to provide some context and consider some of the inconsistencies in how we understand our history and how we understand what is happening now. So take a few moments to listen to these words of Patrick Henry, who was particularly upset by the threatening presence of British troops and weapons in the colonies. Listen to these words in the context of what is going on today. Imagine, if you can, one of those involved in the Black Lives Matter movement on the streets of Portland, perhaps, speaking in response to unidentified federal troops sent by President Trump without the approval or even communication with local leaders. This. Let us not deceive ourselves. These are the implements of war and subjugation. What means this martial array if its purpose be not to force us to submission? They are meant for us. They can be meant for no other. And what have we to oppose them? Shall we try argument? We have been trying that for years. Have we anything new to offer upon the subject? Nothing. We have held the subject up in every light of which it is capable, but it has been all in vain. Shall we resort to entreaty and humble supplication? What terms shall we find which have not already been exhausted? Let us not deceive ourselves. We have done everything that could be done to avert the storm which is now coming on. We have petitioned. We have remonstrated. We have supplicated. Our petitions have been slighted. Our remonstrances have produced additional violence and insult. Our supplications have been disregarded. In vain, after these things, may we indulge the fond hope of peace and reconciliation. There is no longer any room for hope. 
if we wish to be free, if we mean to preserve inviolate those inestimable privileges for which we have been so long contending, if we mean not basely to abandon the noble struggle in which we have been so long engaged and which we have pledged ourselves never to abandon until the glorious object of our contest shall be obtained, we must fight. I repeat it, we must fight. People may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Now, those are the hallowed words of Patrick Henry. If they were voiced by a protester in the present day, no matter how relevant they may be, that person would most likely be considered a dangerous extremist. People would demand they be arrested, locked up. I could imagine that person in this present political climate may even be disappeared. How do we reconcile those realities? Even if we remove the frightening prospect of violent revolution, if we simply support Henry's demands for what he calls freedom, how can we not understand the people in the street? Why is it that we forget to tell the story of what the Statue of Liberty was actually meant to commemorate? Is it because of shame, perhaps, considering all that came after the years of struggle by black people and people of color, nonviolent struggles met with brutality and violence up to the present day? How can we worship the Declaration of Independence and yet forget the peace saying, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, and the ends were to secure the rights of all people to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, whenever any form of government, government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter it or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Wow, that is revolutionary stuff. Either we actually believe it, or we don't. If we don't, we need to get honest about that. If we do, we need to stop blanching at the first broken window while we hallow the birth of the country in violent revolution. I am not supporting violent revolution. That was Patrick Henry. I am saying that in a country that was born out of violent revolution, I find it extremely perverse that we can now so easily and self-righteously call property damage violence while the actual murders of black people at the hands of police is denied, justified, or swept aside as by the book following accepted procedures. 
I am not supporting violent revolution, but I am saying we should be falling down at the feet of those protesters who believe in us enough as a country to remain nonviolent, who care about themselves and each other enough to faithfully, persistently, angrily, passionately carry their message, believing still, demanding still to be heard. Or no, not falling down at their feet, not praising them, not cursing them, not justifying or criticizing them. I am saying that we, that I, need to listen and follow their lead and act as I can and be willing to change. Do you hear, oh my friend, in the place where you stand? The protesters are not a threat to the values we claim. They are warning us of the threat, the ongoing threat. Near his last will, Patrick Henry left a small envelope sealed with wax. Inside the envelope was a single sheet of paper which included this reflection. Whether America's independence will prove a blessing or a curse will depend on the use our people make of the blessings which a gracious God hath bestowed on us. If they are wise, they will be great and happy. If they are of a contrary character, they will be miserable. Righteousness alone can exalt them as a nation. Reader, whoever thou art, remember this, and in thy sphere practice virtue thyself and encourage it in others. P. Henry Righteousness alone can exalt them as a nation. Let justice roll down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. There has been precious little of either justice or righteousness rolling down from the leaders of this country. Righteousness begins with knowing ourselves. It begins with honesty about who we are. We are apt to shut our eyes against a painful truth, but whatever anguish of spirit it may cost, we must be willing to know the whole truth and the truth about our connectedness. Then we will know that liberty for some and not for others is a sham. Then we may work together toward the light of liberty that will shine on us all.